The following is a conversation with Dave Stevens, CEO at Arantabayo, a contract development manufacturing organisation focused on supporting innovators and pioneers advancing novel and advanced therapies for the benefit of patients all around the world. Arantabayo has an interest in microbiome therapies and supports many of the leading microbiome companies globally. This is Inside Matters. My name is Dr. James McElroy. I hope you enjoy it. You're looking good. Running a company and staying in shape is not easy. It's dead easy, right? So just get up in the morning, black coffee, start working. That's it. And actually, I've been good at getting up early, even this week, and going for a run or going and doing some weights. And that's post-travel. Yeah. That's really good. It's the secret to getting over the jet lag. Train. Yeah. And then I don't eat all day. And then at night time... I eat a ton. You eat a ton. Yeah. yeah. But well, you're still, you, like you're still losing weight. Oh, I eat a ton every meal. Yeah. But I'm training like a madman all the time. The guy who was here last week, Andy Scott, he he trains me. And it's really humbling. Uh-huh. I think I'm training hard when I'm training by myself. And then I have a session with Andy. And within 10 minutes, I feel like I'm done. Yeah. That's what it feels like. But you just go more, 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 yeah. more. Uh, no like, rest, no wandering around looking at your phone. No phones allowed, man. Yeah. No. You, do, you can't even look at your phone. So, so I do. I've, I've got a Peloton in my basement. Peloton That's tread. the bike, right? Yeah. Mm. And then on the screen, I do the Peloton workouts. And are, it's like are they, 15 second between sets. Do you do this fasted? Yeah. Wow. So it's brutal. That is brutal. Right? Because your muscles have no... That the glycogen brutal. have depleted already. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, you're, Do you have a gym on site at Ranta? Um, there is one down at the 480. I never go there. I work out at home every morning. Right. Just get it done. The basement. Just get it done. American basement. The sweaty basement. Yeah. Ten, no. ten, ten th- it was only th- when we got the house built. <laughs> it was only part of the house <laughs> that was done properly. And I'm okay if my builder Steve hears this because uh, he okay, should hear Steve, this. Okay, Steve. Shout out. Um, <laughs> the, 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 t- the only thing that was built, and actually my wife said, how come the only thing in this house right is your area with the gym, <laughs> the bar, and the golf sim? And it is pretty nice. <laughs> so a proper man cave. Right? Yeah. You got the gym, yeah. you got the bar. Yeah, that sounds really good. Tell me, what do you do at Aranta for well-being? What are your initiatives? And uh, conscious, of course, that you're aware of what we do at Enterobiotics, and I'm trying to make it best in class to yeah. use the Mark Bamforth phraseology. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what, you, should, you should pattern <laughs> best in class. <laughs> Mark, I mean... Look, I mean, Mark's probably the best CDMO entrepreneur on the planet. Yeah. But he loves the phraseology best in class, doesn't he? He's, he's got, he's he got some. Trademark it. Well, so pretty good apprentice, though. Oh, well, for me and, and I mean, you, yeah. Everyone now goes, look, there's a, there's, a, there's a young Scottish guy that worked with Mark. And, you know, Mark can do anything he likes now. And, and, um, but uh, well, he's keeping busy. I get, yeah. Really Yeah, busy. he is. And he's a, he's a really. Him, he's, him and Morag. It's just a good human being. Right. And and uh, I'm, I'm sure we can talk about it, but, you know, when I moved on from a previous CDMO, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for a values-driven organisation, something we could build from the ground up. The culture, right. the people, I think as you get older, it becomes, it's less about, um, like, what you do, it's how you do what you're doing and, and the people you work with and how you're doing it. I, you want to go home at the end of the week and feel like, proud of what you're doing and I, and I think right. that's that's what Mark does 
Um, I do joke, he's definitely self-actualized. He's in the position to do whatever he wants. <laughs> For me, there's still a bit of food, water, shelter I, I, I want to do. Uh, but uh, Likewise. Uh, no, I think uh, it was a brilliant experience. But for, for, for those things, we, we have a head of CSR. Right. And she's constantly organizing those things. And it's tough. And you know this, right? It's a, in a startup environment. Uh, Is Rantis still a startup? you got that so mentality. We, we tried to outlaw that. Um, right. Because we're not a startup anymore. It's two and a half years, three years. But I think you'll see this, right? As soon as you start jumping into GMP. Right. Then you realize you're a startup because... You just, you're running through constant mistakes. And so if you think about it, like a, a company that's been in business for 10 years and made 100 batches, um, GMP batches, they've already ironed out a lot of the problems. Right. We're running into all of the problems and the team's really smart and we're working through those things. But I, I, I don't think there's a shortcut. And I think we're learning extremely quickly. And I think five years from now, it'll be incredible. But today when you the first few batches you know, the machines don't work exactly how right. you anticipated. So I think all of those things make it a really difficult place to work. And I feel hard sorry for the, the manufacturing guys. We, we often do, you know, we do a summer picnic. Guess what? The GMP guys are in manufacturing. There's nothing right. you can do about that. We've got, we've got uh, clients who've got patients that are waiting, waiting on products. So, right. and they get that, um, but they're working incredibly hard. And the microbiome for fermented products is really, it's tough. It's a new, new platform. Bugs don't grow. They're not. They're not like monoclonals. They don't. They don't grow exactly how you right. expect them to all the time. So stuff can need harvested at two in the morning. You expect it to be ten in the morning. Right. So the team's got to be there the whole time. I, I and I, you know, I'm immensely proud of the the hard work that the folks do. Um, yeah. We'll talk about the microbiome and the challenges, but let's go back to basics. So you mentioned Arant as a CDMO. Yep. What is a CDMO? Contract Development Manufacturing Organization. I, I think the easiest way to think about this, uh, we're a service business that does science. And, uh, you know, first and foremost, <clears throat> um, we're, we're not making products ourselves. Um, we're helping people develop and then scale up and then hopefully take their products through clinical supply and hopefully commercialization. <laughs> and, you know, what's fascinating about microbiome because it's a new modality more than any and I, i've worked you know I've, I've led companies at large portfolios of sterile manufacturing clients what's really interesting is how indexed we are to our client success for microbiome if there's only i know there's probably about 400 innovators in the world working on it but there's probably 400 companies yeah right we reckon but there's probably 20 credible companies that are you know going through the clinic <laughs> and I think um, it, it's it. We're sort of invested in making sure that they're successful because if they're, they get to phase two, guess what? They're bring, bringing the batteries back to us. Right. Um, but it's a really difficult, and you, I'm sure you you see this right. And you talk to investors. There's no commercial products. Um, everybody's waiting on the first one. The first one's probably going to be an FMT product. We're typically working on the fermented products, and so a lot of the science. You know what's really, I think, is fascinating about the microbiome? Everything about treating the microbiome is intuitively sensible. It's just that correlation versus causation thing and how do you prove the mechanism of action when, it, you know, 90% of your T-cells are in your GI tract. So why wouldn't you be able to modulate wow. other parts of your body wow. 
by controlling the, 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 the gut bacteria that modulates that. Right. It makes complete sense. Right. The, the problem is, um, it's just, it's, it's, not a, it's not something you inject and then they've got that sort of overhang of probiotics. It makes people feel like it's a commodity. It's not. Yeah. Um, I, I think in the next 10 years, I think there'll be huge leaps forward on the, the microbiome. And I think there's just so much evidence that the microbiome is, is important. And, right. and, you know, we, I talked about this before, my intermittent fasting. Right. What's that doing to your for, microbiome? For, for 10 years, for as long as I could remember, right. I had heartburn every single day of my life. My mum my, my has um, Barrett's esophagus. It's a hereditary condition where you're, I think your, your esophagus is, is a, little, a little tighter than it needs to be. Every day of my life I had um, heartburn. Since I started that, intermittent that, fasting. Sorry to cut you off, but that must have sucked. Oh, it was brutal. Te te terrible. Yeah. Zant Zantac I, 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 every single day. Yeah, and you mentioned your black coffee. That must have triggered it. And black coffee, right. wine, eggs. Curry. Everything. Yeah. All the good stuff, man. All the stuff that All I now gorge stuff. on. Uh, so, <laughs> so know, like, as, a, as a Scottish boy, not being able to have a curry, yeah. struggling with the beer, you know, no, no harm to the Scottish boys. I know some of us drink green juice and do yoga and such like, but that's um, kind of a staple, isn't it? 100%. Haggis, <laughs> haggis scrambled eggs. Yeah. I'm going away this weekend with my, my, my buddies. We do a golf tournament every year and we're all going away and typically it'll be a few beers tonight or tomorrow night. Yeah. In the morning it will be eggs, bacon, heartburn by the afternoon. There we go, there we go. So, um, <laughs> so but when I started to intermittent fast, there was a couple of things happened. One, inflammation. I did used to work out quite a bit. I had sore wrists, shoulders and things. Disappeared over the course of a few months. I never get heartburn now. I can literally drink whiskey, wine, wow. eat whatever I want in the evening and go to bed, nothing. Wow. It's incredible. And, wow. and so I, I couldn't... It's such a simple change. You yeah. just don't eat for a period of time. And yep. Do you do a 16-8 or do you do a longer fast now? I'm pretty hardcore now. I do 24. 24. 24. So for those listening, that's 20-hour fast, 4-hour feed. So you're basically eating your full caloric intake. Correct. In four hours. And I do a pretty good job of it. Um, I'm sure you do. I had a massive Indian with my with my parents last <laughs> night. Uh, and, and it, but my wife does it as well. She um, she does. She's probably a bit more sensible, like 16, 16-8. Um, you know, in terms of longevity... And so, so there's lifespan, you're born, you die. Then there's health span. How long between those two dates are you healthy for? Right. And there's various different things that we think we might be able to do to increase our lifespan. And there's also things that we think we can do to increase our health span. And yep. the two things that reproducibly are shown to enhance health span and lifespan in animal models are essentially intermittent fasting, so calorie yep. restriction, so time-restricted or significant calorie restriction. And the other is a drug called rapamycin, we should have a look at, and mm -hmm. we might do a podcast episode on it. But I do wonder that if in addition to helping you control your weight through controlling your calories, there's some other benefits there as well, you know, improved insulin sensitivity, yep. maybe your inflammatory markers and you're just a bit of touch on that coming down, the indigestion thing. So maybe it's a microbiome thing. I think it's I think microbiome. it's 100 a microbiome. I think I think it gives your body a chance. I think as soon as you start eating carbohydrates, your body just goes from recovery to just dealing with what you're putting in. I think you give your kidneys a rest. I think you give your blood a rest. I think there's all sorts of benefits that are, I don't think are well understood. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I uh, it's life changing for you. Yeah, for me it was. I mean, the first two weeks were painful. I was, like, I'm sure. Yeah, it was like Starving. it was like going cold turkey. It was sitting cold, tired. 
But now I don't think about it. And, and like I, I work out every morning, I go for a run, empty yeah. stomach. I don't think about food. Um, Amazing. And it's also, I mean, I think it's interesting. I think from an evolutionary perspective, that's what cavemen did. They, they went out each day, they had to go find their food, and then they ate in the, in the evening. They ate and they slept. It sort of makes sense. I, I just, and I think before it was a lot of false hunger. I would eat and then I'd be thinking about my next meal. Now I don't, I just don't think about it. It could be the bugs telling us that we're hungry there you go. through some means. Um, Possibly. I would also tell you that my wife by about three o'clock in the afternoon says she just avoids me because I'm a bit grumpy. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, I sleep better. I, I just, for me, it's, oh, uh, amazing. it's a good choice. And, uh, you know. It's amazing. Yeah. Let, let's go back to the CDMO piece and and your your role at Arantabio. Yeah. So Arantabio specializes in biologics and like novel modalities, is that right? I would say, yeah, advanced, advanced platforms, advanced uh, medicinal products. So the, the sort of the new ways of treating uh, disease. So we're, we're focused on uh, microbiome. So modulating the human microbiome by, uh, I guess, manipulating the, the live bacteria in, in, in the gut microbiome. Um, mRNA, so messenger RNA, and actually it's slightly broader than that. We're working on other products, including siRNA, but essentially uh, nucleic acids uh, based, so plasmids, uh, mRNA, um, and not mRNA in the way people have heard it. Because of the vaccine. Yeah, community right? vaccines. We're not right. we're not really focused on it. I mean, somebody came to us and say, make us a community vaccine, we'd look at it. But I think that, that for mRNA, the promise is really around uh, therapeutics and uh and also vaccines for, for oncology. You think about some of the really tough to treat things like pancreatic cancer, one of, one of right. the challenges with the- Huge unmet need, right? Yeah. Massive unmet need. The, the body can't identify that tumor. Uh, so it doesn't, it doesn't have the wherewithal to, to sort of attack the cells in the, the pancreatic cancer. What's interesting about, what I think is fascinating about mRNA is you sequence the tumor develop something to to sort of trigger the the uh, protein expression in the body to specifically go after that that gene sequence of that tumor it's it's just really cool super cool um and it, I've, I've known about mrna for probably 10 years and i was sort of nudging mark when we first <clears throat> got together you know let's we should look at mrna and um of course then the COVID hit and now it doesn't right. look such a novel idea but it, it's an incredibly difficult supply chain um why is it so difficult so there's so many different sources of that. You, you need plasmid from one place. Uh, you need somewhere to make the, the IVT reaction. You've got this interesting sort of combination of biology and chemistry um, all the way through to the lipid nanoparticle, which is being dissolved basically by ethanol uh, to precipitate out the, um, the, 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 the nanoparticles. It's really complicated. You need special facilities, handling requirements for that ethanol quantity, and then the sterile fill finish. And it was what was brilliant, and this is what I take my hat off to Mark about was we talk about those challenges, and I've been in other companies where we talk about those challenges. You go, that's yeah, just that's a big challenge, you know, all those different things. How do you get them into one site? Well, here when we talked about it, Mark was like, let's do it, let's take that to the board. And now I think we're one of the very few companies that can basically do all of that within three thousand square feet in GMP. And just for the listener, explain why that's such a a big deal. And I think at the most basic level, it's well, you're working with sterols, yep. which contain no viable microorganisms. <laughs> yeah. And then at the other end, you've got your microbiome products and the, the, your ethos is we need to preserve 
the cells. And what you're saying is they're in the same facility. So how is that the challenge or well, so, mis- so, maybe I got it wrong? So there's lots of challenges, but I think what was, and I, you know, we, we, we talked a bit about Ian Baird before, but I think sort of Ian Baird's genius was the way he set the facility up. We, we had it, the facility in Massachusetts in Watertown was deliberately set up with engineering controls in place that we could handle any type of single use biologic platform. Um, and he did that by... That's a big vision, isn't it? Yeah. That's a big vision. 13 clean rooms, all unidirectional flow, uh, you know, the air handling systems, like just like 50 odd. Um, the uh, decontamination that we have, we've got VHP capabilities in every single suite. We can isolate those suites. You know, the, the whole, the way the facility is set up, we can control and basically eliminate the, the possibility of uh, cross-contamination between products. It's just... So one of the design principles must have been like maximum flexibility, exactly. Minimum downtime, that it's that kind of stuff. All single use. So yeah. Um, and what's really neat about that is no no cleaning methods. You just say no. It's it's all single use. We take any of the product contact uh, parts away. They're gone, and we replace it, and we can de- decontaminate the suites. Um, but is yeah, it? no, that's and, and so you know, plasmid is E. coli based. Um, the microbiome can be anything, including spore formers. Um, and they can be tricky, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, they, 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 they can. And, and in most facilities, um, you know, it's funny because I used to run sterils and anyone would come to us with a spore farmer or a bacteria, we'd be like, oh, we can't. Where, where did you run the sterils? Was this in Scotland? I was, um, so I did, I had a site in Glasgow, uh, which uh, I, I took over there 2013, which I worked with uh, Sarah. Uh, you're Sarah. Right. Um, and we, uh, it's cool about that business. I'm really, really proud of what we did. It was a, a business that had been around for 10 years, never made a dollar of profit. It was really neat. There were pioneers in lyophilization to stabilize uh, drugs. Um, and uh, we were able to basically take that site from losing money to uh, becoming, you know, AMRI's most profitable business when they, when they acquired it. And, what did you do to drive that? I mean, that's that's a great outcome. Yeah. What, what were your principles and how did you build the business? So it was my first, I was desperate to run a business myself. And I remember sort of being in a meeting where they were sort of saying, oh, what do we do with this site in Scotland? Now, actually, I was in the US at the time and I sort of wasn't meant to be in the meeting. I just stuck my hand up and said, oh, if you're going to do something with it, can I just have a shot at running it? And um, I, I, I got a, an opportunity to run it. And, and I had lots of ideas full of enthusiasm. Um, and it's funny, I look back now and I realize how much I didn't know at the time. Um, I think it's one of the, that's, that's one of the, that's one of the things though, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> and, but I had this, I had this complete fire in my belly to go make something happen. And I spent the first, there was about 60 employees at the site at the time. And I remember spending the first week, I met with everybody for an hour, every single person, um, and just asked them about themselves and what they saw. And it was really, that was really, really powerful because I, I sort of got to know people really quickly and I was able to sort of come up with some ideas about how we fixed it. But I think the core tenant was was sort of deploying continuous improvement, Lean Six Sigma, looking at pricing, looking at the market and sort of matching up our capabilities. Um, so it was everything. We looked at the commercial side, the operational side, but I just remember driving in every day, just immensely excited about what wow. we were doing. And I do remember... I actually still have the charts, but we were like negative, EBITDA negative, EBITDA negative, and it started to go positive, and it went positive. Wow. And, uh, that felt good. Oh, it was incredible, and the momentum, uh, and I think 
I think we uh, we did lots of like, pizza things. We brought food in for folks. Not green juice. No, uh, not green juice. <laughs> I, I, we do pizza I, and robotics too sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not aware of the microbiome back then. Um, but no, it was it was just an amazing experience. And um, I think one of the things we sort of reset expectations for what the site could be, but also what people could expect of their careers. What they could do. Um, you know, and we, we, we changed a lot of things. Um, but no, it was a, a phenomenal experience. And um, I would say probably the most enjoyable part of my career. Today, because it was just exciting. We were, we didn't have much money for investment, so I was big stealing and borrowing. I was asking Scottish Enterprise for help, and mm -hmm. um, but no, it was as soon as we started to see clients coming in, and it was perfectly positioned. It was sterile. You know, most most products now need to be, and they're, they're moving towards injectables. They're either poor, poorly soluble, poor, poorly bioavailable. Um, it just needed some help, but also just resetting ambitions and. Yeah. You mentioned that it was a US company, but with a Scottish site, UK site. Yeah. Now you're running a business in the US. Boston? Yeah. Yeah. What are the differences between business in the US and business in Scotland? And you can talk about mindsets people have, access to capital, yeah. culture, expectations, that kind of thing. I think it's I think it's across all of those things. I think it's a Scot. <laughs> I think, I, so at one point I wanted to buy that facility and I tiptoed around it. I regret that to this day because we, I, I, we could have bought that business and taken it on ourselves. I think it's just, um, and this is why I take my hat off to, to what you've done, right? I, I think in the US, the natural mindset is to shoot for the stars, right? That's it. And Mark, 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 Mark Banfield and I have talked about this. When you, people go to do a capital raise in the US, they're, they're going out. I want a capital raise for the next four years, five years, because I'm going to take this and it's going to be a billion dollar company. And, right. Um, they go out and ask for those things. Now, some of that access to capital in the US is just is easier. Here, um, people go out and ask for 500,000, <laughs> right? And it gets, and, and then basically they're in a sort of perennial raising money and that ends up where that takes, that's the job rather than growing the business and focusing on that. Um, I, I don't know if it's, right. I think it's just a smaller goldfish bowl here and uh i think you know when i was about 21 i had a i had a boss like an australian guy called glenn kirkhoff and i i said to him many times thanks because but he he stretched my imagination for what was possible i remember sort of grabbing me and saying hey what do you want to do and he was basically saying you can do anything and at the time i'm going yeah sure uh, it's easy for you to say but actually that was i think people people set their own limitations in in scotland to a much greater extent than they do in the us right i think the level of aspiration in the us is higher um, massively yeah massively i i i find that there's some incredible people in scotland and we're a very innovative country yep. with an incredible history of yep. creating globally dominant technologies yep but I feel like you go to an American VC, or you go to a Scottish investor first and a sort of looking at the financials and go, it's quite risky and uh, you need to spend that much. In America, it's like, how are you going to crush all of the competition? <laughs> how are you going to do that? Yeah. Tell me how you're going to do that. How are you going to scale faster than anybody else? Yeah. How are you going to change the world and how are you going to make me lots of money? Yeah. That's the kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and... It's that competitiveness. 
It's the let's be the biggest, let's be the best, yep. let's be the fastest, let's do it now, let's do it yesterday. And that mentality we don't seem to have much of in Scotland. I think it's people here really are doing it. No, I mean, I, I, my five-year-old, ten-year-old uh, <clears throat> school in the US, it's sort of taught into them. It's a naturally competitive environment. But right. even when you look at the way that the colleges operate with the scholarships and things, it's like a pyramid. It's just driving people towards. And I'm not, you know, there's some neg there's some negatives on that as well for 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 certain. Um, but it's definitely as a society, it's a much more ambitious society. And, and um, it, it is, isn't it? You know, and, and, and I, they celebrate success differently. Yeah. So, you know, an academic in the UK patents something phenomenal. They license it out. It becomes a new drug. They come to work in a Ferrari. Everyone's like, ooh, ooh that's a bit much, isn't it? Yeah. Show off. Whereas in the US, it's like, yes, it's like, that is the American dream. <laughs> you you go, Professor yeah. So-and-so. I want to be just like you when I grow up kind of thing. So uh, I think it's a societal thing, but we do have some amazing entrepreneurs yep. here. Amazing entrepreneurs. And I commend Scottish Enterprise and all these organisations who are trying to help catalyse the innovation. I guess one of the other challenges as well is that when companies here start to scale big, there is not the capital base to support them right. become huge. Yeah, that's why we don't have you know many unicorn. So unicorns like a private company worth more than a billion. Whereas in the US, you've got um, incredible access to capital, yep. and those big ideas are the ones that people want to talk about. So there's like a lot we can do here to. No, it's and I, I mean it's funny. I I so I don't intend to live my days out in the US forever. No, I I do want to come back to Scotland. I think. Uh, I think it's interesting. I've lived in Italy. Uh, I've lived in the US. But there's something, uh, there's something pretty unique about Scottish people. Something special, people. man. Yeah. yeah. Something special. There is something special. Uh, there's, just an, there's just an honesty, a transparency that you, you and I'm not suggesting there's other places don't have that, but as uh, I, I was in, um, <laughs> I was in Tesco and Mary Hill. Tuesday by my toiletries why, after why, why were you doing that? Nothing, no harm we, to We had to visit, Hill, we had to visit way, just... Sarah's mum. Uh, right. And um, I need to buy some toiletries. And and it was just up the road, so we Sarah and I ran up there. We left we left the wee guy down with uh, Sarah's mum. And um, we're going down the, the, the conveyor belt out of the place, <clears throat> and on the wall it had support. It was a giant sign. Support, yeah, Y-E-R, <laughs> community. <laughs> And that's just Scottish that's it, people, isn't it? right? And so it's funny. I said, then I had a debate, and I so he goes, he goes, "Oh, look at that! That's the Scottish humour." And I said, "It is, or maybe that's the manager just spelt it wrong." Right. Um, but like, there's something really sincere and honest right. about Scottish people, uh, and I do. Right. I miss, I miss, uh, obviously, miss my family, miss right. my friends. But just there's something just uniquely simple, and right. uh, yeah. So uh, I become the first minister, and. I appoint Dave Stevens to manage all life sciences. How do we turn Scotland into the life sciences capital of the world? Oh, that's a tough question. And, and just to say, someone asked me this this morning and I've got an answer on my phone. So we'll see, let's talk through it and see, see what you think. You, you tell me first, what would you do? So, and, and we've tapped into all the good and the great and we've got billions. We've got so much money and we can just, we can, we can become incredible, but we need your leadership, Dave. What are we going to do? I think, um, <laughs> well, so 
It's sort of, it's an interesting challenge. So I was actually, one, at one point I was on a, a pharma steering committee for life sciences that reported into right. um, Scottish Enterprise. I think um, what I saw, and it's not a criticism, I just, I felt at the time that there was, I can't remember, there was some amount of money that was investable each year. And what I saw was they were sort of spreading it across. Spraying it across. Right. Yeah. And it weren't, it wasn't, it's like, it's like similar when you run a business. Of course, there's a thousand things you could improve. But you've sort of got to narrow it down and sort of figure out where you get the biggest bang for the buck. And so it's really about figuring out how you get that greatest right away. And I'm not suggesting, I'm not sitting here and saying I know where those things are necessarily, but it struck me a couple of things. One, there was a lot of money going to big companies that candidly could probably afford to support themselves. Two, um, I thought there was some promising companies that were sort of getting nudged forward as opposed to getting like genuine, we're gonna, we're, so for, for me at the time, and I'll tell you why I was frustrated at the time, there was things I could have done to dramatically accelerate the growth of the business in Glasgow, but I needed capital, which, you know, like $2 million, I could have turned in another 100 people. Um, right. I, I, think, I think just being a bit more thoughtful on how you direct that and get the greatest bang for the buck, um, I think that's probably, I mean, if you have infinite money, of course you can spray it. But right. for me, that's just good business sense is to make sure you prioritize. Right. Um, bet, the, bet, bet big on the winners, right? Yes. Like, give them some juice and let them just yep. scale. Yeah. Because I think we do like to, and I say we, I'm speaking on behalf of an organization I don't represent now, but there does seem to be a lot of small ticket funding that gets distributed across a large number of companies. Yep. There's also this funder of last resort piece where it's like, come to us if you can't raise money from anyone else. Right. Surely the best companies are going to get the money and you want to get in with the best companies and give them more juice. What do you think about this? So this this, this is this is what I said. Um, I said, point number one, build incredible manufacturing and laboratory infrastructure. Yeah. Shortage across the UK and there needs to be somewhere for scale up companies to go. Like space is at a premium. So the space that exists, that's high quality, it's very expensive. Yep. And the more resourced companies will be able to, to nudge in and muscle in. And this is a problem across the UK, not just Scotland. I said offer incentives to companies to stay there long term. Mm -hmm. So like amortize, fit out costs yep. over the course of a long term lease. Lobby the universities really hard for more favorable spin out terms. There's no reason why we can't have the most favourable terms in the whole world in Scotland. Yep. Let's not have a battle between the academic founders, the lead investor in the university about who gets what and anti-dilution preferences. Uh, like it's, a, it's a funny, that's actually an interesting one because I, I talked to an academic recently and so in the US, it's even the academic institutions are commercial, right? They, they, yep. They're like, let's go, let's, let's go. It. Let's do it. Here yeah. it's like, I, I want to help, but it, you got to fund a PhD and... Right. got to fill this form in. It's it's just complicated and it's, it's not, it's, it, I think it's just not, con I mean, it's just not conducive to sort of springing forward. Right. I, I agree. We should be doing whatever we possibly can to, to, to get the innovation that's in these universities or even in someone's head that might become a paper or might become a patent. No, let's give you some money to do the de-risking and then file for a patent build a company and then get the publications out. Yeah, let's no, just, let's and, just make it happen. And there's examples in the US that make kind of no, like no sense, like Florida University, like we had a we had a facility down there and then Mark had a facility in his previous company there. 
the amount of entrepreneurship that's coming out of that university is just unbelievable. It's just dozens and dozens of companies that are getting spun out from there. And that's amazing. I mean, yeah. That's incredible. There's case studies to look at about how that how is that happening. Um, I think the Scotland now has a chief entrepreneur. I saw that. Name's Mark Logan. I think he's doing something at the moment on this. Okay. So hopefully it, it, it's life science We need, you know, a life science element. Yeah. It can't just be coders and technology, no harm to them. But we need to, you know, make sure there's a life science piece to it as well. So And there's great universities Maybe get here. them on here. Oh, fantastic yeah. universities. Some of the best in the whole world. Yeah. So uh, we'll bring it back now to our antibio and microbiome. So you mentioned the microbiome's challenging you mentioned we haven't had an approval yet, but what 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 is your gut telling you about an approval? We're kind of close, aren't we? I think we're really close. Feeling close. I think, yeah, the, I think the FMT products will be the first, the first genus out there. Um, uh, Mark, could you put, try to pull up Fering Rebiotics FDA Advisory Committee meeting because I I think that they're the, the, that's scheduled now for September. Um, so let let Mark try and find that. Yeah, the f- fairing, F-E-R-R-I-N-G, Rebiotics, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X, FDA Advisory Committee. Because I think it's really soon. I think it's September the 20-somethings. And if that's favourable, then we'll be moving closer towards yep. our first approval. Oh, there we go. That's it. There we go. So uh, September the 22nd. So that's like the next stage gate before an approval. That's, I think, publicly viewable. Uh, there it is there, the FDA live streams it. So clearly if that goes well, and Ceres, who are in yep. phase three, they've announced that they're submitting or imminently about to be submitting for the BLA. If these go well and they start to sell and patients start getting better, then we should see increased confidence in the microbiome. Yeah. Because I, th- I feel like everybody knows the microbiome is important. Well, actually, one of the reasons for doing this podcast is because not everybody knows, but people know it's important. Yeah. And even if they don't know the microbiome is specifically important, they know that, for example, if I eat salad and fruit and vegetables, most of the time for a couple of months, I'm going to feel better. Yeah. And why is that? Well, it's microbiome. So they know, but they don't, they don't really know. But I think the investors and you mentioned it earlier. I got it written down. You mentioned correlation, cause, correlation causation. Yep. So the investors and people can see that there's a there's a link, but they're not sure what it is. So, so, so what do we need to do to to increase well, investor confidence? So, I think um, I think the analytics around that correlation causation will improve, like everything. Right, I, I'm sure we'll look back on some of this challenges in ten years and go, right. "Wow, that was like leeching." Um, um, one of the questions I've got for you is, "How important is analytical?" Ah, uh, yes, yeah. it's fundamental, or that's just it, for 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 LBPs. It's massive. For LBP, I mean, even even for L- LBP li- live biotherapeutic yeah. product, yeah. So, so even there, there's just there's gains to be had. You know, viable cells, incredibly manual to do that right now. I think. There's lots of opportunities to improve the analytics that go alongside it. Um, I think that um, the, the the microbiome is just it's. I, I think I think there's a couple of milestones that I see which will t- transform it. And and I think you know, one of the challenges it's like when you talk about that you can well you can achieve some of this by eating more fermented foods. 
Sh- sure. Um, but I think pharmaceutical grade probiotic, uh, pharmaceutical grade um, uh, um, microbiome products right. have the possibility to transform that. I think it's just tough. You compare that to like a gene therapy product that cures like an, an, an eye illness or, or uh, cystic fibrosis. Like investors can get that. There's a barrier to compete. Whereas I think right. when you think about a microbiome product, they, they hear, I, I think there's still lack of understanding. It's funny, we may bring on really smart people. We still have to educate them on what it is we're doing and why it's important. Um, people don't understand why the microbiome is important. They don't understand the therapeutic benefits that go beyond C. difficile to, you know, ALS, uh, Alzheimer's. There's all sorts of things that, you know, all disease starts in the gut. Right. And Hippocrates. Yeah. Shout out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think... I, I think when you start telling people that, it's I, they get excited, and I think for investors, I think they're still trying to figure out how do you make sure you create a sufficiently differentiated product that someone else can't just come along um, and, and do that. And some of that's going to be on improved formulations, but we're still sort of at this. It feels like a little bit like gene therapy, like twenty years ago, where people were still trying to puzzle this stuff out, and I think over time people will figure this out. I, again, there's just so much evidence. I, I get these journal articles sent to me and it's, you know, one of my favorite things is that, you know, there's less depression in children who grow up with a dog in the house. Wow. So adulthood depression is lower in people who have wow. a dog and it's because the dog creates a more diversified <laughs> microbiome. They have their gut bacteria is more diversified. Wow. There's just so much, I just think, to me, it's just fascinating. And I didn't know that. That's, no, there's, that's, lo- there's that's, loads that's like incredible. that. And there's studies on, on rats, depression and transplanting right. depressed rats yep. microbiome into a non-depressed and the impact that has. It's, right. To me, that's just fascinating. And, um, you know, I, and I think the, the milestones along the way will be FMT will get approved for C. difficile. The next one will be a fermented product gets approved probably for a GI indication. And the, the fermented product is your spe- specialty at yes. Aranta. So talk to us about the difference between like an FMT product and then a fermented product and why you've gone big in the fermented arena, so I, to speak. Or I think, uh, yeah, I, and I, this, is my, this is my feeling, I think, in the future. I think the FMT products will, will prove concept for sure. And I think there is something with that full spectrum of, there's an interplay that I don't still don't think is understood, right? There's fungi and there's all sorts of other stuff that's in there that I don't think it's well understood, right? And there's an, I mean, we've, we've seen some analytical data on you need certain strains to, for other strains to propagate. There's an interplay between certain strains that certain strains produce metabolites that other strains need. There's just, there's a lot of that stuff. And so I think FMT, I think, will be the first in class treatment for a lot of these things. And I, I think that's... So a donor-derived donor product. Donor-derived product. The starting material is stool. It's been rigorously screened yep. from healthy people. And you're trying to retain the ecosystems yep. as best as possible, yep. right? And you've got, you mentioned the various different elements there. Um, do you think a fermented product, can you achieve the same kind of complexity? Or you can achieve enough. Well, yeah. So I think there's a number of different ways to think about that. I think there's different ways you can go. One of the nice things about being a CDMO, and I, I, I want to make sure I don't talk about any one specific products, but yeah, I, no problem. We get to see 
lots of different approaches. We even get to people come to us and say, hey, we've, we're thinking about this thing. How, 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 how do you think about it? How would you manufacture that? But there's, there's other ways to approach this, which is things like, you know, bring in, you know, consortiums together, bring 50 different strains together, either make 50 different drug substances, which would be difficult from a COGS perspective, or could you co-culture them together? Is there other ways? Could you could you do something where you have a background of FMT, use that as a scaffold or a, an excipient, right. something like that, right? And then focus on two or three bugs, right? Um, I think there's just there's a lot of different directions it it can still go in, right? Um, you know, and I, for me, it's just I think there's some data out there that says that you know certain strains of bacteria supplement with a frontline oncology treatment improves the Incredible. responsiveness uh, to me it's just it's just a matter of time um I, I saw some data recently still unpublished i can't go into all the detail but yeah fmt or imt intestinal microbiota transfer however you want to describe it um, as an adjuvant treatment yep. in patients who are receiving immunotherapy and the data was incredible i, I got really excited both because I'm running a microbiome company, but also with my clinician and sort of just human hats on, I was like, oh my goodness, you know, if we can achieve like the disappearance of cancer cells in a significant proportion of patients and also shift non-responders to responders yep. to immunotherapy, that has such massive implications yeah. globally, yeah. quality of life lifespan, all this kind and what's, of stuff. What's a, that's a great example because like, it's not that long ago people thought it was a genetic disposition that meant people were non-responders responders. So to think that it's actually right. the, the microbiome and been, by being able to modulate that, you can improve it. To me, it's just, wow. it's, it's the same. I think if you think about <clears throat> how long ago was it, you know, there was this sort of, if you, you, cesarean births typically have higher levels of asthma right, and, and other kind of skin conditions. And so it was like, well, People didn't really understand why that was, and now it's pretty clear it's because the, the the microbiome is populated during the birth process. That's it. And uh, you know, nature has a way of just knowing and right. sort of being there for a reason. And um, mm. I, I just, for me, in the next ten years, I think it's a really exciting time to be part of the microbiome. Right. Yeah. Well, on the analytical side, then, and and I, I take the point that we can't go into any specific client customer detail sure. I wouldn't I wouldn't push you on that at all but what are you doing at Aranta to innovate in the analytical side and do you see that as being like a bedrock foundation of your offering and your business like how do you compete with other CDMOs sure. to make yourselves like you know the one that people go to yeah no we we um from really early on so we, we obviously acquired cap design uh so Aaron Kiley is our CSO is still still with us in the organization he did some brilliant work on how do you grow bugs and keep them alive through the manufacturing process. I think if he was here, I could say this, I, I think there was a little weakness on the analytical side. And, and actually, we brought this guy, uh, Jeff Heiser, on board, who's just like unbelievable. He was at Boston Analytical, yeah. right? Yeah, I've heard him talk and, a few times. And his passion for um, the analytical aspects of microbiome is just, it's just brilliant. It's and he's constantly thinking about how does how does we innovate further on analytical. But for us, one of the, the early challenges, it's a really simple one, was um, a lot of the products are consortia. So you're combining nine, 10 different strains into a single drug product capsule. Then how do you how do you make sure you've got the right quantities right. and all that stuff? And so do you need to have the same amount 
yep. by gram weight exactly. of every strain in the capture. Yeah. Wow. And then if you think about that, as you think about for a commercial process, at some point you're going to have to do process validation and show that every right. time you make it, it's got the same. So that, can we just pause there? When you move through development, through to commercial, yep. from the manufacturing and analytical perspective, yep. generally speaking, what changes? Um, the, uh, I, I guess the precision of the analytical has to be tighter and tighter and tighter as you go through. We actually some, still see in a little bit in microbiome, people people want to do a lot more on the analytical side earlier. Um, but it, in general speaking, as you get closer to phase three and validation and, and process characterization, you want to make sure that you really have a, a strong understanding of, of what you're doing in the manufacturing process and what the product um, all of the you know the potency safety all that kind of all those attributes are are, are right um so um because i guess when people were watching the vaccines being developed it was all about phase one to phase three or phase two to phase three and getting the data but i think a lot of people don't realize just what goes into all the rest of the elements it's, supply chain it's a it's incredible analytical yeah yeah and you're at Aranta, are you offering an end-to-end -end solution for lab, your clients? Lab, lab to commercial. Uh, and I think for, for microbiome companies, what's important uh, is obviously they want to get through phase one quickly. Time is money. Everything, everything before phase two has a negative net present value. So money's, you know, they want to really go as quickly as possible. <laughs> um, but I think what's important to their investors is they have somewhere they can actually manufacture in the future. So the fact that we invested ahead of time in the capacity. Yeah, we have phase three, we've got commercial ready um, facility, but we have a commercial ready quality management system. It was designed that we could take people through to that uh, in the future. Now, most products are in phase one, phase two. We don't, we don't need that. What we see for microbiome companies increasingly is, is they kind of go through to phase two. There's a growing awareness of how important CMC is. There's a lot of people in this sort of preclinical phase one who don't fully understand why we, we're just to be clear Aranta is not the cheapest option we're in the middle of Massachusetts we've right. talked about it's a 150 million dollar facility that we've got um we're not the cheapest so we have to spend a lot of time sort of getting people to understand why why do we need all these controls because we've got to make sure that the product is pure it doesn't have contamination from any other products and processes and I think one of the things is probiotics typically are made in multi-use facilities but they don't have the same controls i i don't know much about the probiotics industry in terms of who manufactures them and how they manufacture them my understanding is that as you say because it's not a drug product then the principles of gmp don't apply although they might embody some quality they management. would say they call it food grade gmp but it's not. How can you be food grade in GMP? Well, well. So it's still, it's still, uh, yeah. I, but it's not pharma grade GMP. So they, so they, right. they would do less analytical. They would probably do less on the containment. Um, Just for the listeners, GMP means good manufacturing practice. Yeah. And you're probably better at describing it than I am. But I'll, I'll have a, I'll have a shot. <laughs> having, you know, had some regulatory interactions quite recently. The way I think about it is, it's a mindset. Yeah. It's a mindset relating to quality, consistency, yep. training, quality management system, making sure that you're producing the right product same way every single time. And if you don't, you've got to capture that and log it. 
And ultimately, what it boils down to is patient safety. Yep. Making sure that these products are safe for patients every single time. Yep. Anything to add as the GMP expert? No, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm lucky I've got much smarter people you got around good, me. But, me um, too, me too, man. I, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I think that's pretty much it. I think it's, it, for me, GMP is generally uh, common sense. And I think if you were having a, if you're getting your medicine made somewhere, you want to know, like, right. the, the the piece of equipment it was made on wasn't previously right. made, you know, didn't have a steroid on there that is going to ha carry over into the product. I think for, for probiotics, um, you know, the, by by design, they're just not not to the same level. And I think it's it's funny, Aaron, uh, we asked him about probiotics at the very start, tell us the difference. And he said, well, first of all, if you buy probiotics from the supermarket, you waste your money, because although it's got like a billion CFU, all those CFUs are dead, they're not viable. Wow. So you're wasting your money on those $50, 50 pounds wow. uh, things. And by the way, um, having been to America a couple of times this year, and gone to the supermarkets, which are super, they're huge. Yep. The number of probiotics for sale blew my mind. Yep. And it was a very, dare I say, I hope I'm allowed to say this, American way of marketing. We have the most cells in this product, right? right? They didn't say anything about what the bug was or whether they yep. were viable. And they're, so, si they're sitting <laughs> on the shelf. Uh, they're not, exactly. There's no, yeah. that's, and so, so, but even we, we still find ourselves yeah. having to describe that to, to people. And when we bring yeah. employees on, um, There's a big difference, right? It's huge. Yeah, it's huge, and I think that's that's the trick for microbiome is is for, for fermented products certainly, and in fact, even for yours to make sure that the cells are oh, one, one are alive at fundamental. the end, and that they hit the right part of the GI tract where they can propagate and and uh, and grow again. And right, um, yeah, it's 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 not easy, and I think sometimes. I think the industry thinks some of these things are easy, um, but it's not. I mean, we, we're running the facility for microbiome the same way as we would run it for mRNA and the same way we'd run it for a viral vector, um, which these are these are like these are types of products that would command significant prices in the commercial market. And microbiome is no different. We have the same controls. In fact, because of the, uh, the, the manufacturing complexity and uh, you know, the randomness of when stuff needs to be harvested and in many ways that it's actually more labor intensive right and then you're also doing that you know a five-day lyle cycle at the end as well so it's it's definitely not an easy process uh it's definitely you know we're starting to think about ways to automate some of the the manufacturing process where where's ripe for innovation in manufacturing and analytical regarding microbiome you mentioned, um, you mentioned culture that's interesting you know plating things up yeah, no, I think, time. I think one of the things, um, and we've, we've always had a view on this, but I, I think we, we had a, a lot of business come in at once because we were a new company. And I think we've now got a little bit of breathing space now. We're starting to think about, um, even within the labs, and I'm, I'm you know, I, I, I obviously know the folks that work in the labs. I'm not personally in there, but it, it, it strikes me when we talk about um, things that we... Um, there's a lot of gray space or white space between the activities. And I think for me, the challenge, I think when you think about a new modality that time is money, um, you know, an ambition for, for me would be, it takes about 12 months to, for us to get something through process development, do the analytical development for products. 
um, I'd like to find a way we could cut that down to six months. It has to be possible. And I think some of that right. is on automating technology. So you can do high throughput screening and things. Um, and the second piece is making sure that we fully characterize the proprietary media blinds that we have to grow the bugs, the proprietary cryopreservatives, um, find ways that we can basically create, um, uh, we can boil some of this down to calculus by saying this is the strain. I'd love to find a way to use AI and uh, some of that that process that yep. we, we can sort of design things rather than sort of methodically, you know, manually plating things and right. sort of seeing what happens. And through to, you know, GMP manufacturing, you know, the biggest bottleneck, which you know this because you're solving it, uh, is lyophilization. Right. Um, and, that, and that's because? Because you've got to make the, you've got to make the bugs inert. You've got to put them back to sleep, make them dormant until they, uh, you know, get into the right part of the GI tract to the patient. And that's a very laborious, long, you know, five, five days. And for us in a facility, right. we've got 13 clean rooms, two lyos. So I can, I can make DS all day, but if I've only got two lyos to get it through, that's a, that's a constraint. And I think, I think the whole microbiome industry is sort of thinking about that. Like lyophilization being a bottleneck. Yeah. Is it the bottleneck right now for everybody? Um, Who's using it, I suppose? I think it is. Probably. So the upstream elements then, like the fermentation, the procurement of the starting material, that's all scalable? You can just, there's, there's a bigger fermenters and... Yeah, no, so, so there's some constraints there. I think, obviously... How, how big are your biggest fermenters? Are you allowed to say that? Yeah, yeah. Two, we, two, we got 2,000 litres. Wow. And we've actually, we've done a study on 5,000 litres as well, um, which... Wow. So that's so that's sort of only half the problem, though, right? So we can grow large volumes. The biggest problem is that if you think about the gut microbiome, most of the bugs are anaerobic. So almost all of them. Yeah. Right. So you can you can, which is you know one of the one of the reasons that you know people pick up C. difficile is once the good bugs are exposed to oxygen and through surgery, guess what? Bugs die off. Um, so I think for us. Um, uh, the biggest pieces then the doubt is up, you know, you can grow them, but then how do you harvest them? You gotta keep them anaerobic. Um that's that's a that's definitely a challenge. And there's different ways. I mean you could approach it, there's continuous manufacturing and, and perfusion and things like that. But um, So it's like infrastructure and engineering gives you that anaerobic environment. Correct. Yeah, certainly at Enterobiotics, we well first of all we're doing manufacturing in house, as you know. Yep. Trying to control the supply chain. Yeah. We have made investments into the best quality infrastructure we could possibly afford to give us that anaerobic environment to protect the product. Yep. Also the containment to protect the facility and the operators. Yep. And as you know, we're trying to solve the lyophilization challenge through an entirely novel methodology. Yep. We're at the early stages now of trying to scale it up. Yep. But I believe that to be truly successful and to truly hit scale with these microbial products, we're going to have to innovate in that area. Yeah. Right. I mean, five days feels like a long time, but it's not, it's not just the five day piece. It's are there machines big enough to do batches that are big enough for, let's just say for argument's sake, type two diabetes, yep. huge patient population. Obesity. Yep. Yep. And, I believe that there's an opportunity there. Metabolic disease, type 2 diabetes, 
maybe even type one diabetes. I'm going to speak about that with someone that's coming on soon. And obesity, possibly, possibly. I mean, imagine if instead of eating salad all the time, you gave someone a pill that contained microbes that had been harvested from someone that eats salad all the time. It's quite difficult to get somebody to eat salad all the time. Well, and you know, the, the whole, it's less difficult to take a pill. But, but you know, the whole theory is that <laughs> if you feed the box cheeseburgers, the, the bugs that like cheeseburgers grow faster and they say, hey, I want a cheeseburger. Yeah, I want more cheeseburgers, yeah. Just, you know, maybe starting to get changed behaviours. I think that's what's surprising to people is the extent to which the microbiome, the, the bacteria, it, it's connected to the, the gut-brain axis, right? The bugs are talking through your vagal nerve back and forward to your brain, right? You know, when you're nervous, right? So that's a psychological thing, but where do you feel it? Butterflies in your stomach. Right? And, and, and on a really basic level, that's, I think it's a good example, but, um, you know, if you eat pizza all the time, guess what? Or he wants pizza. Then wants pizza, yeah. More pizza. <laughs> but if you, if you could find, so, and there is, and we've, there's data out there in the public domain of people who have found certain strains that do have a meaningful difference on body fat and body weight. Um, I've seen that. You know, so like. It's incredible. Yeah. Because it feels like in solving, like trying to solve that massive societal challenge, you've got two options. One, somehow get everybody to exercise more eat less and clean up their diet more generally. And they've got to do that, by the way, every day for months. And they've got to, they've got to stay... Stay the course. Forever. Yep. The other option is, and this is hypothetical, blue sky. You give them a capsule that contains the microbes harvested from somebody who is doing that because, I mean, they exist. Yep. I'll put my hand up. I'm obsessed with health, fitness, wellness, my microbiome. Yep. And... One of the things, and I'm going a bit off piece here, just to allow me to indulge myself a little bit. One of the issues is I don't think people understand how good they can feel if they take action and start to focus on their gut health and the microbiome. Because they've never felt like that before. They don't understand what it means to have boundless energy all day, feeling strong, fit, healthy, clarity of the brain, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Now, I'm going off piece. Now, going back a second, surely we can harvest microbiomes from people who are living that life, scale it, and then give it to people to try and give them some of the benefit of that exercise every day, good diet every day. Now, there's a question there around what kind of clinical study do you need to do? Yep. But somebody one day might do it, and companies like Aranta are going to be at the forefront helping them scale that. Yes. So you're going to need loads of lios and loads of fermenters and that's, that kind of thing. So are you thinking about that? We are always thinking about that. <laughs> uh, no, it's it, it it's a it's a pretty big challenge, and I, I think there's different ways to approach it. Um, there's there's things that won't need lyos, or maybe there's a way to do different cycles that cut that time down to a day rather than five days. I think there's definitely ways to 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 um, there's definitely ways to do. It. I I do. I look at phase three and and people commercialise some of these. These are huge patient populations, and this is what's different from gene therapy. Right. These are huge patient populations. On gene therapy, there's something very powerful happened recently, wasn't it? Bluebird Bio got an approval. Yeah, Mark, can you get that up? Bluebird Bio. Uh, I read I read about it this morning, actually. I just skim read it, but it looked like there'd been an approval. Um, and that's a big deal because Bluebird have been on a really long journey. Yeah. Um, yeah, just, I think just type it into Google and we should see something. 
There, there we go. There we go. Um, so, uh, is it stay there? Okay. There you go. It will charge two point eight oh. million. Oh wow! Wow. But but let us let us let us talk about that. How much does it currently cost to treat patients with beta thalassemia over the course of their lifetime? There must be something about that in the article. Because they, they will they will have worked that out based on what they're likely to get reimbursed. And not oh there we go. People who have yeah. thalassemia six hours at a facility if, Every two to four weeks, sometimes requiring an overnight stay. Okay, so that costs a lot of money. And hey, what they're saying here, I think, is have one shot of this and you never need to go back into that facility again for the rest of your life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is incredible. There'll be something around pricing and, and maybe I can do a separate piece on that. But I think that the $2.8 million will have been very carefully thought through and will be deemed through the um, various different means and mechanisms. And that's what's cool about the gene therapy to, products. They're, they're curing. They're, they're, they're curing. One-shot cures. So, so some somebody will have done the math to say this is value for money. I, I may, Mark, maybe you can have a quick look and I'll just keep chatting to Dave, but there'll be something in there about what, how can they justify that cost and it will relate to how much it costs society and the healthcare systems for one patient over the course of their lifetime because not only are they saving money they're also oh there we go okay wow okay so 6.4 versus 2.8 so there's a saving there and there's also a massive quality of well, life and, and to be fair <clears throat> it'd be interesting to know how much money bluebird bio has oh, invested man. to get to this point right and there's also and people don't think about this i guess is there's the costs if they're working with a cdmo Yep. There's all the manufacturing costs. I mean, you're you're a business. You need to make money, right? We just to want we just want to make a reasonable, sustainable rate of return for our investor. That's that's it. We're not right. I have that discussion with customers. I'm not. We're not trying to make fifty percent margins. We're, right. we're just trying to make sure that we are a sustainable business that we're can reinvest in the facility and the equipment. Trying to get product to patient yep. and create a sustainable, commercially viable company. Yep. I mean, on that point, what is your vision for Rantabio? You're the CEO. You didn't start as CEO. It was I did not. Mark Bamford started the company. Then there was a merger. Two thousand and nineteen, Mark started the company right after uh, Brammer. I remember uh, when they were planning. It was in. They were, we were doing something in the microbiome. No, so, no. And so what are you guys doing? <laughs> Tell me. So I'm doing a microbiome thing, and then they started. It's kind of cool. And should we just pay some homage or lip service to? Mark's naming sort of conventions. I, it's uh, Grammar, Aranta, Gallus. Yep. He's also got Therm Bio now. Yep. And I think Morag deserves the credit for that, doesn't Chief, she? Chief yeah. Naming so, Officer, shout, I understand, is our title. <laughs> shout out to Morag. Okay. So go, go back then to your your vision for Aranta and the history. I think it's kind of interesting. Story. Yeah. No, we, we, so initially, it's funny actually, I, I, when I was at uh, AMRI at the time, I actually moved to the US with the MRI to to run their their sterile's division, and um, it just it felt like the right time to do something else. And I wasn't I wasn't really actively looking, but I was sort of starting to think about what I wanted to do next. And I got a phone call from Ian Baird. Uh, Ian had known for ten years. In fact, I'd known him for ten years, but I'd always assumed he didn't like me. So 
Uh, and you can relate to that, I'm sure. Uh, so when he phoned me up, um, he said, oh, it's, you know. Ian Baird, tough customer, but firm but fair. He's a, he's a, good, he's a he, good fellow. He, he very much knows what he's doing. So No, he and... Um, uh, you know, Iran has been an incredible journey for, for me. He phoned me up and he didn't have a job for me. I mean, he didn't, I said, well, what, what's it doing? He said, oh, no, just come and meet Mark. And I didn't know Mark. I'd, I'd heard of him because of Brammer. And um, I think I once passed him in a corridor and I remember, I remember seeing him. Um, and I went online and looked him up. And there was a lot of articles about his sort of values as, as, a, as a leader in a company and what, how he thought about right. swinging for the fences. Um, and you can see, he's, you know, he's done he's done extremely well with all his ventures. But that's because he's, by nature, he's bold and he's forward thinking, and he sees opportunity where other people see risk. Kind of what we talked about, and and he and he goes for it. But I think what's most uh, the thing that most impresses you with Mark is for all his success, he's like humility is just so humble. Yeah, and so he. Um, I really enjoyed the first time I met him. Still didn't know what the job was. Then I, I talked to Ian a couple of times and I said, Ian, what's the job? And he said, oh, what could be CEO? And I'm thinking, wow, I hadn't thought of that at all. I thought, uh, and so, um, you know, Mark had always planned to sort of set the company up and step back, but he didn't, he didn't want to step back. Uh, and then we, uh, we had a lot of inbound interest in the company last year. Um, particularly when we started to, to, to look at mRNA. Um, we were not actively looking to sell the company. We built a really great organization. I, I mean, I'm, I, we have a group of talent at Ranta that I've never worked with before. And, and I was able to recruit people from even customers that I'd worked with in the past. People that, honestly, when I phoned them up, I was like, would you ever consider joining a CDMO and thinking they'll just knock me back? Um, but people I really enjoyed working with and respected, former colleagues, customers, and so it was brilliant. It was like sort of building a dream team to to work with. And then I had, you know, Ian helping me on some of the setting the facility up. Um, you know, Mark doing what Mark, Mark does. Um, you know, people were fascinated to see what he was doing, so it was easy to get in to see people. Um, what was the ethos when you were building? Was it like, let's buy the best possible kit? Yep, and the the best technology and let's hire the best people and just be the best. Is that essentially? It was pretty much it. I, it was so refreshing yep. um, because it was not like, how do we skirt around? If, in terms of the, 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 the value creation that we have for customers, the equipment, the facilities, there was no expense spared. And if, if right. you, you've, you've seen, been, yeah, right, I've been, yeah. and, and people walk around and they go, wow, this is, this is pretty amazing. It is. Um, and so th that's what we wanted. And what's really nice about that and I've been involved in companies before where you've got old equipment, old assets, old facilities, and you're sort of working around them. What was neat was being able to go blank piece of paper and walk in and say, we can do all these things. And I felt really confident in what we were saying to people. Because um, you got the capability. Yeah. We, we've been the same at Interbiotics. It's, we are buying the best possible kit, the yeah. best kit. And our, our, our people who work at the company say, look, this is incredible. We've got the state of the art. Yeah. equipment we can do so much with this and they're excited about it so there's yeah. also an element of the people that are working for you being drawn to do more and more and they tell their friends we're buying the best kit here but yeah i mean from mark and ian i think if you're not first and the best then why are you doing it yeah you know, i mean you're, you're, ian's you're, philosophy you're, on that you're stuff. last he just yeah. does, it just doesn't cut corners at all and 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 uh 
So no, it's been a brand, and it's funny because you know it, it, AMRI and my previous company, I had a whole division. Uh, I had about seven hundred people in that division. You become cosseted, right? And I, I could obviously I was still talking to customers, but you sort of you're not sort of making things happen as much as you probably did, and some of it's dealing with politics. Right. More than it's sort of, and that was one of the things I was sitting in meetings. I'm not speaking ill, but I, they just for me, we weren't talking about customers and we weren't talking about employees and and how to grow the business. That's sort of all you do in a startup, right? And and, and um, how do we grow this? I think the M and A example is a brilliant one. We we pivoted and jumped into that, like you know, one board meeting. We want to do this. Boom. Yeah, we're doing it. And um, we're doing it big. <clears throat> so yeah, no, and so obviously I'm now now the CEO of Aranta. Um, also, just recently we were uh, acquired uh, by Resi Farm, which is a Swedish company, global, I think the fifth largest CDMO in the world. Um, wow, interesting philosophy that they've um, sort of they'd like us to sort of run and keep doing what we're doing. Um, obviously, grow and hit some of the uh, the numbers that we've committed to, which is which is absolutely fine and 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 uh, appreciated. Um, but we were also acquired at the same time by Viva Logics, um, which was also an ampersand company. And so I'm now the ampersand was who's that? Sorry, they're the private equity, the backers yeah. of um, both both companies. Yep. Um, okay. And Ian helped set uh, the, some of the facilities up in the US for them. They, right. they actually have a slightly different legacy. They've they've been for 15 years plus manufacturing um, oncolytic virus for treating uh, cancer. Interesting. Very uh, interesting. And um, viral vectors. Um, they have a site in Germany, really good people, um, profitable business, and they were looking to add a US site to commercialize those types of products. Again, it's a new a new modality. Um, and then most recently, I've been asked to be the CEO of that company as well, um, which uh, is, is cool. Uh, it's very cool. Uh, exciting. Very, very cool. Um, I, you know, for, for me... Uh, I genuinely, I feel incredibly lucky to get to lead organizations and people. I just, I don't take it for granted. I think part of that is I worked my way up literally from the very bottom. So I, I know I've had some really good leaders I've worked for, apart from bad ones, and I've tried to remember how I felt. Um, and so uh, I feel incredible privilege, honor. Um, what, to, does to being do a, what does being a leader mean to you? Mm -hmm. Uh, and and also a good one. What makes a good leader a good leader? Um, it's funny. I've actually got more and more comfortable over the years of just being myself, uh, not trying to be someone else that I used to like. The, you know, someone else I thought I needed to be. I think sincerity, humility, empathy. I think those are the characteristics of a good leader. Um, I think someone who stretches the ambitions of the organization, and that's not by just sort of saying, hey, we, we want to be the best. It's making sure that there's actions in place and resources and, and the financial support to make sure that you can actually realize those things. Um, I, I can't remember, I, I read it, but it's not, um, what I saw for years and years was budgets set in companies and CDMOs without ever really sitting down and going, what's, what's the how? And so I, I really pride myself in making sure I understand and, and that we've got a plan for delivering. If we say it's driven by this, then make sure we've got, we understand what that driver is. But I think that for me, the most important part of a leader is being a human being and relating to people, 
Um, I think the, the challenge for any leader is to get people to go places they don't think they can go or want to go. Uh, the only way you can do that is for them to trust you. There's no, there's no other recipe as far as I can tell. And I think uh, I, I, I try really hard just to be like, I, I, I think I've said this and I've done another podcast a while back and I'm convinced there's only three or four decisions in my life that are different from me and the people who work in the organization. There's just, you know, it's, I'm just, I'm, I'm fortunate. I've had some combination of luck, um, but also saying yes to opportunities. Um, you know, when, when Mark offered me the job at Aranta, I think Ian was, he sort of admired me for the way I did it, but he also, I think he thought I'd lost my mind a little bit. I never looked at the contract and I signed it. I didn't, I didn't talk about salary. I didn't talk about any of those things. I, generally speaking. A, dare I say you had a gut feeling? A good gut feeling? I had a good feeling, but I, I was more excited about if I go build a great business with Mark Bamforth, everything will be okay. And like I say, I'm, I'm not quite in the position where I don't have to care about those things. Um, obviously the financial things, all those things, but I knew that Mark was a good person, but I really wanted the opportunity and that was more important to me than haggling over things. Um, I'll tell you something I've not told you before. I had a curry with those two gentlemen and others when they were trying to bring you in or I think they just okay. brought you in. Curry, a couple of pints, Union Street, Aberdeen. Uh -huh. And I remember they said, we've got the right guy. We managed to, we managed to get him. And then they, they, they said who you were. Scottish boy over in the US, big ambition, big capability, all the people's skills. And, and they were really comfortable with that. So you must have done something to really impress them. No, I, um, yeah. Not sure about signing a contract without reading it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, That's actually true. I actually had cause to read it not that long ago. But no, I think... Uh, oh, man. I, I, you know, I, I, I just... I, just, I wanted the opportunity to work with Mark and Ian and, I, yeah. you know. Uh, I understand that for sure. You know, you want to be the best you can be. You need to surround yourself with the best people all the time and and be a bit selfish about it. You yeah. know, I want to be with the best to become the best. I think as you get older, <clears throat> not no, that I'm a no, sage. Man, I've, there's but, some grey hairs on this beard now and even with all my longevity stuff, you can't see it on the camera, thankfully, but they're... <laughs> Uh, but oh, like the coming man. But but I think <laughs> if you're going to spend five years of your life on something, you got to make sure it's you something that you're going to put your heart and soul into and that you believe in. And I think, uh, you know, it's just I feel immensely proud when I rock up to Watertown every time I drive in there. Um, you know, I just I, I I can't explain it. I don't feel I don't feel any different to other people there. I have all the same normal insecurities everybody else does. Uh, and um, I just feel immensely proud and I see how hard people work in the company and uh, how smart the, the, the folks are and I just I feel unbelievably uh, humble that they're, they're willing to work so, for me there's something me. so humbling about people working and I say for you but on the same team as you yep. who, are, who are coming in early leaving late working the weekends putting the big shift in because they believe in your vision and they believe in what the organization's doing yep. it's the most incredibly fulfilling super cool thing yep. one of the best parts of being a leader isn't it seeing people 
reach their potential and seeing how hard people are prepared to work for the vision that you've set is just special. It's really special. I think that's the thing I take the greatest pride in is the people whose career has been influenced by me. And I think that's an enormous responsibility for anybody who's in a position to, to lead an organization is to make sure. And by the way, I don't, I'm certain I don't get it right all the time, so I'm sure there's people listening <laughs> who will go. Likewise. Uh, but, 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 but I think generally trying to get more things right than wrong, and I think what, it's a really subtle thing, but I, I, I um, the thing I'm most proud of is when I lead by just influence, that people do the right thing without having to be pushed. I, I can't tell you like that. Um, that is a rare and rare commodity that people will generally push in, in the same direction without being forced in those directions. I, I think that's that's the kind of people I want to work with, and um, we want to be a vision, mission-driven organization. And I think it's it's really tough because you still have all the normal objectives, you still have sure. to hit them. But sure. I think uh, I want everyone to have the same fire in the belly that we're trying to create something really neat. Um, so where will our answer be in three years, five years? What's coming? Yeah. Um, well, I think so. Again, and sorry, Vibrologics. Vibrologics. Because you're doing them both. Well, yeah. and, and, and and Resi Farm, right? I, I think. Um, I think there's an interesting thing. I think um, Resi Farm has a pretty firm vision of where they want to get to. They're backed by EQT. It's one of the largest private equity companies in the world. Um, they're going through their own transformation. Um, but I think for us, so what do sorry? What do Resi Farm? want to achieve like what's their vision they want to be the biggest no no they want to be they want to be the <laughs> best in class <laughs> they want to be the they, best they in class be, no i think why not i think they want to be the the, the <laughs> one of the most differentiated global um cdmos and i and right. i think what's and that, that explains the the microbiome yes the advanced therapies advanced technologies mrna because these are the therapies of the future yep so mark funk is the ceo of resi farm he was previously the CEO of Lonza, probably one of the, 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 Big the biggest. One. Yeah, uh, he had a tremendous success building up their biologics division. Um, yeah, I heard that. The uh, you know there's a number of other ex Lonza people there, but I think they're sort of reflected in what they saw at Lonza, which um, you know, Lonza are a phenomenally successful company and be proud to to ever be associated with them. But I think more and more what you're seeing is a lot of the innovation for. Um, new medicine is not coming from big pharma necessarily. It's coming from there's a there's a much greater democratization of drug development. P people have small companies. Bluebird is an example. Right. That innovation is coming through smaller companies, and so I think the of course they're going to look after big pharma companies, but I think there is an opportunity to look after mid-sized companies, small companies, virtual companies in a different way. Where in some of these larger companies, for sure they get lost on the margins. There's, there's just no, there's just no doubt. And I think, if I think about, um, you know, Vibologics and Aranta, I think when you think about viral vectors, oncolytic viruses, microbiome, mRNA, plasmid, that's advanced therapeutics. It's advanced ATMPs, and and I think we have an opportunity where that's not a well-served segment of the market. So for for in my mind. What, what do you mean by that? Sorry, well served. Well, so if you think about even companies like you know Lonza and Thermo, Catalan, sure they they can offer sterile finish, they can offer gene therapy, but is there anyone offering microbiome? All of these 
brand new advanced medicinal therapeutic areas, um, I think there's an opportunity to really what one learn because each of them has similar challenges, right? Even though they're pretty different, um, the microbiome regulatory pathway is completely not defined. The and it's changing. Yes, there's some changes happening in the EU yep. as we speak. Yeah, really interesting. And the same thing for oncolytic viruses. So there's there's things that we can do to send that learning learning curve faster. Um, there's things like facility sharing. There's expertise sharing. There's an opportunity for us to really build something which a lot of the characteristics of people in those areas we, we you'll see on our website is got it's bold. And the reason we picked that can we pull that up? Um, Let's have a look at the Aranta website. Here we go. I think if you... Uh, homepage, please. I think homepage says it. It's in big writing. There you go. There we go. Boom. Bold. And that was one of one of our sort of uh, overarching can't... core values as, as an organisation. We, we're bold. We're jumping into areas of manufacturing that are not well developed. There's a facility too. Look yep. at that. Wonderful. You're hiring right now? Uh, we're always hiring. Always hiring. There we go. So... Um, yeah, it's really good. So, I I think it, it's a great facility, and it's a great company you're building. And and you know this, like for your 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 company, Antibiotics, it's brand new, right? You have to every time you speak to investor, you have to explain. I'm sure why you know the the wherefores and whatnots of microbiome, which by definition means that you've got to be bold, intrepid, which is the meaning of a ranter, and uh, that's I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a, ga ga it's a Gaelic word, yeah. Bold, bold and intrepid. Wow. Um, wow. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, Morag's pretty good at this. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, and I, and I think that's, <laughs> we see ourselves being the same as our uh, our customers in that respect. They, and that's why I keep saying we're highly indexed. And it's funny when I talk to CEOs of some of our clients, and I'm talking to one this afternoon. Um, you got some customers in, in the UK? Actually, I'm talking to one from the West Coast who, who, uh, you was on holiday, but we still have to talk today. <laughs> um, but I think... Well, Dave, thanks coming in on your holiday, man. Yeah. It's been a great conversation, but keep, keep, keep going. No, and I think, I think that's... If they're successful, we'll be successful. And if they're not successful, we won't be. And so that's it. We, we don't want to be transactional. We're not looking to, to just, you know, work through work stages. We want to make sure that we we're adding value and trying to think... 10 steps ahead so we can give you the best possible chance of success. You want a partner. Yeah. Partner with every single company yeah. to help them. Great. Um, Dave, we're, we're pretty much at one o'clock. Um, so I'm happy to happy to leave it there. Perfect. Um, hopefully that's good timing for you. I thought two hours was going to be a long time, but that, no. was, that went pretty quickly. No, no. I think, I think, Mark, you'll know. I think it's an hour, 40 minutes, something like that, roughly. <clears throat> hour and 23. Yeah. So that's awesome. Awesome. Dave, thanks so much, man. Thanks, mate. Yeah, really, really good. To learn more about the guests on today's episode or more about the Inside Matters podcast, please visit insidematters.health. Thank you. <laughs>